Welcome to Living in Harmony, a podcast for Christian parents who want to make the peace in their household without sacrificing their sanity. Here, we talk about everything from sibling rivalry to dating and how to raise your kids to be strong in their faith while maintaining your own. But don't worry, we're not all preachy here. That's the purpose of your church and your pastor. Here, we're here for you to help you know you are not alone in this crazy journey called parenthood. So whether you're a seasoned pro or a brand new parent, Living in Harmony, this is the podcast for you. So grab some coffee or wine, we won't judge, and join us as we navigate the ups and downs of raising kids in a Christian household where the gospel is the center. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Living in Harmony. My name is Delmar. My name is Robert. And I'm April. And we hope that you're having a great week. Today is Sunday when we're recording and we just got out of church. It was storming. It was booming. And you can hear the rain dropping off the roof of the church. It sounded like this an extended applause from heaven. I told Dan, I was like, listen, man, the Lord was even sending his angels to applause for you. Anyways, the sermon was fantastic. Yeah, the sermon was storming. Holy moly. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get to that. Um, Before we get to that, we're going to jump into what's in the culture. But before we even get to that, see see how we're starting it reverse and going back to the beginning? It's kind of like a good movie. Before we get to that, <laughs> we're going to be first. Yeah. I feel like I've heard that somewhere before. I guess a good movie is a ripoff of good, uh, the, good, the good book. Anyways, okay. so truthfully, what, what did we do this week? What did y'all get up to this week? You know, how, what, what went on in your house? Well, um, exciting news for us is that our daughter got to come home for this week. So she's um, in between quarters at chiropractor school. So she's got a week off, um, came home a couple hours after her last um, exam and uh, came home, brought her spine, showing us stuff. Not talking the spine about, that's in her body. They, she has. Oh, a, she did oh, bring. I mean, she, she did, did bring, bring that, that one too. But, <laughs> <laughs> but they have oh. this. They have this like this plastic spine. posable spine with all the pieces in it that she can use. They oh. can use to practice on. Okay, so she's home. It's good seeing her smiling today at church. Yes. And yes. Uh, yeah, this week in my family, it has been pampered dad week Ooh. Oh, no okay. not for that good reason oh so i was trying to get this studio in order which we're getting there it's looking better and the other night it was really late and uh, i was trying to carry a sound system down the stairs from the house and Uh-oh. um there may have been a lego on the stairs oh y'all there. going down the stairs i i busted it and you know if you ever fallen downstairs it's cheering like a topple no you know how the stairs got that right angle Every stair is a right angle of nine degrees. Yep. My hip oh. caught a right angle. Oh. And y'all, I thought I snapped something. Mm. Matter of fact, I got a bruise. You want to see it? No. You want to <laughs> see it? It's, it's so bad. I showed, My mom was a registered nurse. She worked in the hospital for 40 years, right? I showed it to her yesterday. She goes, oh my gosh, that's one of the worst. It is bad. Mm. It is. She says, I'm internally hemorrhaging. Oh. So it sounds Don't bad. Lie. But uh, it is really bad. So moral of the story, if you're going to fall down the stairs, go for the long fall. Don't go for the short fall. Mm-hmm. Go for the long. Let it topple you down. Honestly, I really do think it had been better to break a leg. Like that's where I'm at than, you know, than this you bruise. probably oh. need to see a chiropractor now. <laughs> yeah, probably not a bad idea. So anyways, if, if I'm not on the podcast for the next couple of weeks because I died and... Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, keep on going, keep on parenting, living in harmony. <laughs> no, but seriously, it has been, it's been one of those weeks. I'm, I'm sitting here having my son brush his teeth and he comes up, okay, dad. And he just slaps me on the back. He's oh. just being a little kid, but man, he brought me to my knees. Oh. So, uh, anyways, it is, it's been a, it's been one of those weeks you're, you're limping through and, uh, but you know, it's all good. It's all good because, um, you know, it kind of reminds you the, 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 the finiteness of this body and mm-hmm. this life. So good to be reminded of all that but you know who would totally be fine falling down some stairs gen z people right because they're all pretty young for the most part they could fall down stairs they bounce bounce right back up you know they're mid-20s low 20s right now and if you missed the podcast last week then i think you missed a great one matter of fact i want to encourage you to go back and listen to last week because we did some uh some terms that were quite funny uh, that you may or may not know so go back play the game with us and we covered a few um, things about the culture of Gen Z. And today, as we um, edge into this segment, we're going to jump right back into it. So y'all ready? ready? Let's go jump in the culture. 
All right, so as we jump into this section today, um, we're going to really be kind of leaning in more on the Gen Z culture. So what that means is this is not indicative to every single person, nor is any cultural norm, right? Um, some of these are present in low ways, low doses, and low doses of some of this culture is not bad, right? Um, but and a hyper-condensed version of this is horrible. So just like any culture, I grew up millennial. Um, look at half of my generation right now. So we want to preface this with saying, if there's anything said that, that may seem disparaging, just know we ran it through the ringer with my generation. I'm sure Gen, Gen, uh, Gen X, X, I'm yes. sure y'all got it too. Um, yes. There weren't many of you. I, I was looking at some stats. Y'all are one of the, the lowest represented, you know, generations I mean, out there. You don't need that many to be the best. That's where I start throwing. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know what's fun? Like, Gen Xers are so proud to be Gen X, right? <laughs> I've, I haven't met a Gen X yet. He's like, well, I'm a Gen X. But millennials, it's like, let me go hide under a rock. Half of my people have blue hair and think they're cats. So <laughs> <laughs> anyways, and some of that stems out of the conversation we're going to have today. Um, not, not to be lighthearted about it, but, uh, as we move into it, let's go ahead and we're just going to, we're going to walk through a few more cultural realities about Gen Z and, and the world they live in. And if you have a child who is, um, you know, teenager moving on up in the twenties, this, this is your, this is the world they live in. Uh, this is the world you're exposed to. Some of the stuff you're going to be able to identify it real quickly. Uh, some of it, maybe not. So first one, y'all ready? Ready. And this yep. one's caught some people off guards when I shared it, but I, I, I affirm it. Here it is, right? Gen Z are typically more environmentally conscious than previous generations with a greater focus on sustainability and the carbon footprint. So um, there we go. They're really big on environmentally consciousness and sustainability, and all of the things that come with taking care of the earth. So have, have you have you witnessed this in your own? I know your family, you're, you tend to be a little bit more, you know, sustainable in your own living. But have you seen this in the culture at large with Gen Z? I think so. And and I think, I mean, part of it, when I when we look at these these things, I keep coming back to, you know, I, uh, some of these are not new. And, and I know when I was a kid, um, it was the, the, the big thing was the ozone layer was going to, was going to blow away. I remember that y'all sprayed so much hairspray. Mm -hmm. I came into a world <laughs> that was about to end. Right. I did. And, and, and that was the, that was the thing. So there were, there were famines in Africa. And so we were, we were raising money. We had popcorn sales in elementary school to raise money for the starving children in Ethiopia. And that was just a thing that happened every mm -hmm. year. Uh, farm aid was a thing. And, um, the, you know, the, the big, big concerts with lots of, you know, all the celebrities would come up and they donate all that to, to mm. food. So, so I think there's, you know, um, I think there, I think there was environmental concern back then. Uh, but I think the difference was that this generation is really one of the first ones to be raised in it from like birth right. and that they've been able to see not just the big stories, but they've been able to see kind of like we talked about last week because of the the technology, they've been able to see every environmental issue everywhere ever. And it's just been a lot more, it's been a lot more present for them. It's definitely hyperinflated, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and we would hate to disparage this because we know as believers, God has entrusted us to be good stewards of this planet. So this does not mean I'm going to go have a burn the tires in the backyard party for fun. Um, but what you're saying is absolutely true. We live in a culture now where every environmental infringement is online. And if I'm a student and I'm just scrolling, I'm seeing all of these horrible things. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, it is the end of the world right now. Meanwhile, well, you know, I, was, I took geology at Charleston Southern and my professor said, he goes, this won't be on a test and don't quote me. So I'm about to quote him. But he said, <laughs> the solution to pollution is dilution. And he says, he goes, literally, you can dump every oil change you ever do in your car into the ground. It will never hurt anything because our earth is so good at um, filtration and doing what it's supposed to. Now, that doesn't mean everybody should do it. But his point is very true, even in our own psyche, when it comes to this issue. Like, we don't really have a diluted understanding of what's going on. It's all hyper condensed. It's almost all like it's happening in our own county. Well... One of the things that I think is important when you talk about, you know, environmental issues with your kids is helping to educate them on um, some of the things 
that that are not actually true or that don't even make sense as far as um, environmental factors. And I mean, one thing that comes to mind for me is, um, you know, like the idea of electric cars and everybody talking about how much better that is for the environment to do go electric, but then nobody's talking about the, you know, what happens when you have to get rid of that battery and um, all of the, I mean, there's a lot of environmental problems that come into play a few years later down the road, they don't have solutions for those things. And that electricity has got to come from someplace too. Absolutely. And I think this is, you know, as I was looking through the topics that we were, we were going to cover today, there, there's kind of a theme and this is the first place that it touches is that there's a, every one of these things has a, a biblical underpinning to it. Mm-hmm. You know, everything that we're going to talk about today, um, has a, you know, it's a, it's a, the problem that the, that the generation is looking at is truly biblical and, and in this case, you know, like you said, we are called to be stewards of the earth and God has called us to, you know, to, uh, you know, to have dominion is the, the, the old Testament word, but that doesn't mean to dominate in, in a, in a, um, oppressive controlling sense. It means to essentially to tend like a garden. You can't dominate a tomato plant and make it grow. <laughs> right. You have to work within its nature. You have to give it what it needs. You have to make sure that it's got... You know, it's got nutrition and water and sunlight and it doesn't get too hot. It doesn't get too cold. And, and, and you have to you have to 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 help it work within its own nature. And, and I think that the same thing is true for us with the earth. We, we, we are not called to, you know, force the earth to do what we want, but to work within its nature to uh, for for um, uh, flourishing. And, and human flourishing and the flourishing of nature really go hand in hand if it's done right. And so I think this generation is looking at that and seeing that we really haven't done a good job. So, so our generation, my generation, really didn't do a good job of making that distinction and saying, you know, the, uh, the environmental movement of the 60s had correctly identified something that we needed to be looking at. And so now this generation is saying, hey, we've really messed this up. We need to get back to this. And they, so they've correctly recognized the problem, but they're looking at a different, um, they're coming up with the, with the wrong solution because they Correct. don't have the right framework to look at it. And, and we also have to just acknowledge history. One of the worst things that, one of the things that keeps us ignorant is not being informed, but it's also not remembering the history, right? My, my grandparents and my mother was young. It was, um, the world was going to freeze, right? We were gl- global cooling. So we do need to be conscious about what experts are saying, but we also have to realize that um, I'm not an expert and I have been called to, you know, sow this little part of the planet the Lord has put me in charge of and to steward it well. I can't do it as large because where some of these things go unchecked, and this is why this is important for parents, we have to teach our children how to think critically Yes. through a biblical worldview. Think Write that down if you're not riding in the car, critically through a biblical worldview, because if not, you go off the rails. Because there are world leaders who right now who say, okay, we got to decrease the carbon footprint. Well, what thing on this planet is the highest contributor to the carbon footprint on the planet? Humans. And there are people who say, well, we need to decrease humanity. We need to decrease the population. Um, we see this through I mean, genocide. We can see this through forced sterilization. We see this through lots of ways. So that's what happens when you, when you, when you remove a Christian worldview and when you don't think critically. So we, we do what we can in as much that we can still be foremost obedient to the Lord, right? Foremost and it, obedient. And if we can get really practical for a second, here's an example from it's from a couple of years ago, but but the uh, the whole plastic straw thing, right? Uh, and there's part of it. It's like, okay, here it, it all stems from a from a, a junior high science project where some public relations firm just sort of made up something so that this kid could have a you know could get a science project done, and it, <laughs> it went viral ten years later. But but here here's the thing. So we're all worried about you know plastic straws in restaurants. But if you go at least where where we live within you know one mile of my house you could pick up a thousand pounds of plastic off the side <laughs> of the so road true. yeah and so if you really care about you know getting plastic out of you know keeping plastic out of the waterways go pick something up right, right. and you can do that as a family um, there are places to do that safely there are groups that do that from time to time 
you know, so it's not just about being a quote unquote activist. It's about doing an activity that, that does the thing that you say you want to do. And I think that goes to that principle you were saying a minute ago. God doesn't call us to save the planet. He calls each of us to work in our little neighborhood, in our little place, in our community, you know, whether that's community of believers, community of, of faith, or whether that's our our community of neighbors, or just our, our yard, right? And he calls us to start as close as we can and to work our way out. Absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, if we're irresponsible with how we're managing the plant around us and our, then, then we should be called out on that. We should be held accountable and we should hold our student, our children accountable for it. But, you know, there's so many things put in place even now that we just assume is right. And because why, you know, if I, I won't get into it, but there's a large documentary that just came out about what happens to that plastic bottle that you put in the recycling bin. And the vast majority of them are in the ocean somewhere. Yes. Like well over 80% of everything you have ever recycled. And, and that is just truth. So this is why we need to, we need to educate our children. And you know what, if educating your children makes them seem at odds with the world, you're in good company. You know, we, we want, we are mandated to steward this planet, but not to, um, an irrational place that, that works against the message of scripture. So, which, kind of brings us to the next one in this time where everything is so latched on, whether it's, you know, eating trends or like we talked about last week, you know, lingo or, you know, the environment. The next one is also something that's trended a lot more than it was even when I was a a student back in like 04 through 07. And that is this Gen Z is more politically active than previous generations with a greater interest in social justice issues and a desire to make a positive impact on the world. So there is a lot going on in that one. Um, it is good that our Gen Z on the whole want to make a positive impact on the world. That's a good thing. You know, the birth of the influencer, that's their cult. That's their age, right? Somebody who has a lot of followers on Instagram. You know, one of the reasons someone want to be influencer is to have clout and be awesome with some of us to do good things. But when it comes to being politically active, I've seen this firsthand. When I fought, when I started in student ministry back in um, two thousand like five two thousand six, you know, it, 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 there wasn't really a conversation about politics. It was like, yeah, we have a president, yeah, we have whatever. But now, I walked into a local private school. I was doing chapel, and we were talking about how our opinions change over time and the fleetingness of life. And I just asked a room of about there were probably seven or 800 teenagers. So it's a pretty good cross section, right? I said, uh, how many of you have an opinion on Joe Biden? And all of them raised their hands. I said, how many? Oh. Of you? Yeah, all of them. Well, I say all of them, a good three fourths. I said, how many of you have an opinion on Donald Trump? Oh, they all raised their hand, <laughs> you know? And some of it is because the nature of our politics has changed. It's more entertainment now. So that's going to suck people in as well. I mean, it is high entertainment Sometimes it feels like it's a horror movie, <laughs> but or survivor or, or survivor thriller. Um, but right now, our students, whether they mean to or not, they're in a, in a culture that's way more politically charged, politically polarized. Some of that we got to own it as parents because our parents, we are more politically charged and politically polarized in a lot of ways, and our students are picking that up from us. But you know, even as we step into that conversation, it's it's important that we that we manage it well because obviously there are certain worldviews I never would vote for I never would want my children to vote for but as parents how many times have you just said well that's stupid what does that make your kid want to do when you tell them oh that's stupid don't and you give them no meaning it just oh now I'm curious yeah, exactly you know, so so I know that you've had to have these conversations with your children oh yes about the, the, the Christian in the political realm. I have some thoughts on it, but I would really love to hear your, your thoughts on, you know, Gen Z and politics. So I think this is another one of those places where um, they have correctly identified a problem, right? There is a problem that, that we, you know, our, our political system uh, and, you know, 
backing up just half a step, you know, all politics is, is the, the, the art and science of how people in societies work together, right? To how do, how do we, what rules do we use and how do we choose those rules? Um, and like you said, there's a whole conversation there that, that, that's goes outside the scope of this, uh, of this, but, um, the, when you look at what, um, how, how our society is functioning right now, it's clearly broken. And, and I think for us, uh, it's important for us to, to look back and say, okay, you know, with our kids, in our families, in our communities, you know, what is it that, you know, how is it that God wants us to structure our, our social and, and our political, um, enterprises? How is it that he wants us to build things? And, and scripture has a lot to say about that. Um, you know, and that doesn't mean that we need to go back and, you know, have a King like King Saul. I mean, that, that didn't work out well for them. Right. Um, and that's not, that's not the point. Um, but there are principles that, that, that can be applied through here if we, if we do it, um, intelligently. Yeah. And it, so I think when you, when you look at how to, how to apply that to children, um, you just have to kind of, you have to start early enough. You start with, with what rules are and you start in the, you know, like so many things you start in the family and say, okay, how do we in this group, you know, this group of fewer than a dozen people, how do, how do we, um, organize ourselves? What rules do we have? And then, and then, uh, just work out for, from there. I mean, it can be as practical as, um, I think we've mentioned this before. We taught our kids about taxes, um, with Halloween candy. It's like, oh <laughs> yeah, you get the candy, but dad gets, a, you know, that's it's taxed. Yeah. And the, what's a tax? <laughs> well, that means your authority takes something from you. And so I took all the good candy, but, um, <laughs> didn't take all the good candy, just all, all, the, the, good, all the stuff I like, <laughs> but, 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 you know, start teaching those principles. Um, and, and there are ways to do that, you know, even from a very young age. And then you, 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 you add on to that as they come up. Yeah. And one of the things that I've seen parents do, and I think this is really helpful and also it, it can put you at odds with conservatives and liberals. So it might be right. Um, you know, there's this saying, especially where we live in the heart of the South next to an air force base, God and country, God and country. And whereas I love this country, I do think there's no place I would rather live specifically. We live in South Carolina. I love South Carolina. I look out in the other States and I'm like, I don't really want to move. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm really happy here. Um, but to even remotely equate the country to the same love as your God, that's dangerous. Um, but I do think that, you know, with anything in the culture, you can reject it, receive it, or redeem it. I do think you can redeem that. And I've seen parents say, no, listen, we are about the country, but our kingdom is not of this world. So we should, you should be politically invested because you want to see your true kingdom be reflected in the culture around us, right? Um, we want to see the kingdom of God because what I believe in 100%, if, if you have biblical principles in place, you are going to have less chaos. You are. And now, you know, you're going to have pushback. Well, people use biblical principles to promote slavery. That's a whole conversation about what was slavery, textual criticism, looking at it through, um, you know, critical theory. There's, we're talking about just b- biblical morality. And there, what I have loved seeing in some ways, and, and this is not in here, but um, I pulled up some statistics and actually statistically, Gen Z is trending as a whole more conservative than millennials. Um, they're actually um, trending now. Now that doesn't mean that there's going to be a bastion of you know hope coming, but it does. It's reactionary against some stuff they've seen. Right when you see someone get up there and just gaslight and say things that are not true, you tend to you tend to wonder, well, what's reality? What's not reality? So as we talk to our kids, I think it's important. Listen, sure, be interested in this kingdom. But may it never take precedent over your true kingdom if you if for those whose children are in Christ. Well, and and something else that goes along with that 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 we um, you know had talked about with our kids, and also we talk about it with other kids too. You know that we have opportunity to interact with and speak with and develop a friendship and um, some kind of relationship with is that um, you know. God does choose the rulers for the nations. Absolutely. And in our country, the way the the rulers are chosen is through 
elections and through the vote. And we have an opportunity to be part of that. And so when I have, um, you know, I've, I've actually met quite a few who aren't interested in voting or they don't want to vote. They want to be politically minded as far as um, being for various causes and things like that. But a lot of times I've, I've talked with some who say, oh, I don't really want to vote or um, they're not sure if they want to vote. They don't like the choices. And I, and you know, even our own children, there were times where they were like, oh, I don't really want to hear about politics, you know, when they were younger. And we would say, well, part of politics is that that is how God uses us as part of the way he brings about his rulers. And so for us, we feel like we do have an obligation to participate in that process and to allow God to use us one way or the other to bring about, you know, his will. And, um, and that doesn't mean that you're, you know, elevating because we, I agree with you completely. You don't elevate your country to the level of, you know, God, God and country. But I also think it's irresponsible for, um, to have the attitude of who cares about politics. It doesn't matter. And we shouldn't even, we shouldn't even worry about it or think about it. And going right along with that also is you have to have an understanding of history and you have to have an understanding. I mean, you were talking about teaching kids to think critically. It's so important because, you know, we've told our kids as they were growing up, you know, there are so many people, politicians and people you can listen to who are going to completely lie, tell you things that are not true, tell you things that completely contradict history. And if you don't know your history, and if you don't know how to think critically, you're not going to be able to recognize when people are lying to you or you know, pulling you down some road that you don't even realize you're being taken right. advantage of or sold something that's that's completely false. And I know, I feel like this part should be a no brainer, but I always feel like it's important to say, you still always want to filter everything through a biblical lens and your biblical worldview. And when people are telling you things or trying to get you interested in certain things, you always have to take every single issue back and say, what does scripture say about this? Mm. And that's a, there's a couple of really good points in what you just said. And, and one of those, that's why I said them. I know. Um, one of the things is, you know, when you're looking at history and you're trying to say, okay, what, what actually happened these days, you got to be really careful. You can't just pick up a history book and read it because, you know, a lot of historians and, and arguably this is always true. Um, cause, cause any, any history is a selection of facts. It's not every fact that ever happened. Um, but you know, a lot of them now are specifically selecting facts to tell a story to create a narrative which may or may not actually account for all of the facts and so you you have to go back and look and see okay you know what really happened you may actually have to go read some of those original sources you know the original documents the original things you know what does the constitution actually say what does the declaration of independence actually say you know what did these 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 men and women actually say right and do um, and how do we know the things that we know? And that's that 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 becomes very difficult um, in some sense. And you know, it's okay to learn that with your student. Absolutely. If you don't know it, go to a museum together, right? Absolutely. Read some stuff together. I think one of the reasons um, we we choose to not step into this discourse is because we feel you know unversed in this. And I get it because there's a I mean, it's, it's history. It's a lot to take in. But this is something. Hey. Let's just serve it together. And then how much more influence will you have over your child when they see you humbling yourself and learning as opposed to the, the, uh, the opposite take that I would encourage not to do. And this is difficult even for me. Right. And, um, is that just don't espouse your hyperpolarized, you know, I'm using air quotes here views, um, even in a way that would not invite your children to learn. Mm-hmm. It is okay. You, we all have passionate views like like we will never affirm abortion right we're literally doing a podcast for parents if any of us formed abortion we have to exile ourselves from the podcast mm-hmm. because that would end parenthood um but you know and 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 it's okay to be passionate about hating sin right we we can be but the way we enter that conversation with our child it needs to be with the respect and dignity that they're image bearers of god that they need to learn they need to take this in 
in a way that I'm not putting it off so polarized that it becomes repulsive or that I now make my child a worse version of that than, than me. And, and that can be difficult because right now everything wants you to take the side and then grab a gun and defend the hill on the side. And one of the things that, that we found is, um, and, and honestly, this surprised me a little bit is that when you start teaching things to your kids, sometimes they don't learn the lesson that you think you're trying to teach them and it takes time. Right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they, they grab the wrong conclusion and then if they're stubborn, they tend to stick to it sometimes. And so, you know, that's where what you were just saying can be really important because, you know, if you start teaching something and they're like, Oh, I think it's, this is, this is the reason why it's like, uh, well, that's not where I was going with that. And, and it can be really easy to get, to get frustrated and to say, Oh no, you know, you've got to, you've got to learn this. You've got to learn the right lesson from what I'm telling you. Right. Well, what we have found is our children for the most part did learn the right lessons, but sometimes it took them a little bit of time and they have to process through it. And, and one of the things that I've, that I've told, um, you know, both our kids and other kids that we worked with, it's like, um, yes, I think what I'm telling you is true or I wouldn't believe it. So, you know, I will tell you, you know, there's some things that I don't know and I will tell you, I don't know that. But there are other things, if I'm talking to you about a perspective on history or perspective on government or, or scripture or whatever, I say it because I think it's true. That doesn't mean I know it's true, but I, I think it is. That doesn't mean that I'm not open to being corrected, um, but it does mean that I think it's true. And, and so, you know, if we are confident, if we've done our homework, you know, again, going back to um, what April said a minute ago about, about looking at things through a, through a biblical lens and through the, the appropriate uh, the appropriate worldview. If we have done that properly, then our conclusions should be mm -hmm. biblical, more or less. And that's you know why we why we uh, do things like this, right? To to sharpen each other. Um, but therefore, uh, we can have confidence that over time, you know, if we keep coming back into that worldview, you know, our our kids will 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 gradually work their way into that truth. Um, and, and so in some sense, um, you know, that, that doesn't work for everybody. It doesn't work for everybody on the same timeline, but it's something that we, we can kind of, um, in my mind, I was always able to, to come back to that and say, if I think this is true, if it's really right. true and I've trained my kids to seek truth, then they will eventually come into this, you know, into this conclusion. Because as parents, if we advocate for our children to pursue truth, we genuinely shouldn't be worried if that is what we're actually trying to get them to, you know? And I think one of the ways that we do that is with our tact. It is with how we say what we say. Um, when we're sharing political opinions or engaging the conversation, we need to just, you know, make sure that what we're saying is not just an insult, right? Because how many times has, I mean, even this week, I heard one of our political leaders referring to someone he didn't like as a horse face, whatever. And I'm just like, you know, you don't have to do that. You know, that's that's not godly. It's not biblical, right? Um, but you know, if if one don't do insults, but be truthful. Hey, like right now, my my kids are very in the um, they're not in the abstract phase of life, right? Mm -hmm. So when when a politician comes on. Calvin looks at me and goes, is that a good guy or a bad guy? <laughs> and I have to say, well, right now she's standing on stage telling people that they can kill their babies. And then my son goes, oh, so she's a bad guy. There you go. And and I'm not, I'm not saying it, not being mean, but like this but is. He's able to draw his conclusion. Even at his own age, he's able to see that's what this person is, is advocating. And it's difficult because I want to say the thing. You know, I want to say the thing and, and I'm, I'm not sitting here as some saint who doesn't ever, I mean, sometimes I get, I'll get frustrated, you know, but I, I, it's important that we watch that because of, um, of the way, especially our Gen Z people see even us as parents, which brings us to like the last big one we're going to be able to discuss today. And that is, is authority. Authority in Gen Z is it's it's different because Gen Z is um, more skeptical of traditional authority figures and institutions. Uh, they got greater preference on peer-to-peer -peer relationships and online communities. This is the standard. And this is just where things have just changed, right? Um, for me, when I was growing up, 
When I was at school, I'm with my peers. I still got a teacher. You listen to the teacher. And, you know, um, for the most part, it was about half and half. If, if, you, if you got a note sent home, you know, a lot of times, if I got a note sent home, I got the spanking, you know. But then about half, then the other half, the parents would come and yell at the, the teachers for being bad teachers. We don't live in that era anymore. Because when I used to leave school, now who was my primary influencer? It was my mom and dad or my grandparents because I would go stay with them. That was my influencers the rest of the day. Well, when our students leave school now or even while they're in school, who's their primary influencer? The so people with clout. Yeah. You like how I said that? Yeah, you did it. <laughs> but like they're, they're friends on Snap, right? They're friends that are, that are on, on Instagram. They're friends that send them text messages. There's no separation anymore. So what's happened is this more proclivity to, to huddle up amongst peer groups and to self-raise each other. And uh, I mean, we this isn't new, right? Um, Solomon's son, what it was the one of the worst things he did in his kingdom? He got rid of his father's advisors. Said, "I'm going to surround myself with like-minded men." And then what happened to the kingdom? Right. Um, it, so, so this is something that we're experiencing, uh, you know, a resurgence even today in a greater way that these authority, if it's if they're older than twenty, which that's not new either, right? What was the? Oh yeah, that was that's that's not just our generation, but but our my parents' generation, you know, had had issues with their parents, and that's just I think that's just something about being human, right? right. We we tend to our sinful nature tends to rebel against the authority, and and you know when you uh, you know kind of tie all this together and say okay, you know, God is the ultimate authority, and we we are born into rebellion against Him. He has put other authorities underneath himself in in our human societies. We tend to rebel against those too, right? And so all of this tends to be, you know, kind of related. And and I think for this generation, they're seeing again, legitimately, they're seeing some authorities that have done bad things, horrible things. And and they're you know they're they're kind of being fed this um, this this long list of things that authorities have done badly. And those are true stories, right? The authorities have been. And so, you know, they're trying to say, ah, I don't need that authority. Again, they're they're correctly identifying a problem, right? But the problem, they're they're correctly identifying that there is a problem, but they're misidentifying it in this case. The problem is not with the authorities themselves. The problem was with the humans that are sitting right. in those positions of authorities. Those humans are sinful. Those humans are broken, and and it takes you know God working you know through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit in in us. Um, and then, you know, in the lives of, of, of individual humans uh, to set rules in place, to set these things in place, to restrain our sinful nature so that we can, uh, so that we can, we can live in, in peace and harmony. And the, in the last three years have massively, we can't say that has it impacted their view of authority. It, hundreds is probably not even close to where I need to be. They have witnessed their authorities be wrong hundreds of times yeah. and, and, and crazy in the face of wrong, double down and then tell you they were actually right. This, this entire generation has been, you know, lied to then gaslit. And now like, why would I believe them? So, so if, if, if you're home and as a student who's especially lived through this and they are like what we've been talking about, they're keyed in on the political system, they're keyed in on the environmental system and they've experienced so many of these things happening and they're skeptical. There is an amount of grace that I think is warranted there, right? In our parenting, but there's also an amount of truth where we got to lean in and we have to say, listen, yes, but don't judge everyone by who is in the positions of authority. And I think that, I think understanding, and again, this is something that you can start at very, very young age, but at any age, even up into adulthood, remind ourselves and remind our kids and remind one another, yeah, that person and that authority just messed up and did a wrong thing. That person is broken and sinful. Mm -hmm. And even if that, even if that person is a, is a Christ follower and, and God is working in that person's life, we still all sin, right? That doesn't mean that we are, um, I mean, just because I follow Christ does not mean that he always fixes me in every moment. Right. You know, I still rebel. I still have those issues. And sometimes I, you know, that rebellion in me causes me to do things that hurt other people. And if I happen to be a, in political office, if I happen to be someone of influence, yeah, my sinful behavior can influence a lot of other people. 
uh, and can can have consequences for other people. And so I think reminding ourselves and reminding our children that, yes, just because that person um, is doing a bad thing right now, and it doesn't mean that person is a is a bad guy. Right. And here's here's the here's the challenge you're going to have as you as you as your kids continue to get older, you know. Yeah. Okay. So, so she's a bad guy. Oh, well, but then five minutes later she says something good. It's like, oh, so she's a good guy. Well, both, right? right? Because all of us as human were made in the image of God. So we have good things that we do, but we're also broken and sinful and fallen. So there's bad things that we do. And, you know, but without Christ, the bad things are going to far outweigh the good ones. And one of the ways we can mimic that and kind of express that Christ is Lord of our lives. And we talked about this, man, so many podcasts ago. It is, if you, if we want to help our children know how to trust authority, we cannot over exaggerate the influence of an apology from an authority figure. When you mess up, when you confess you are wrong, that is saying so much to your child. Because today, when, when things lie, when politicians, when news outlets lie, they don't ever admit they're wrong. Or if they lie, they will, if it's an article online, they will go back and they will, what they call a soft correct, they'll soft edit themselves three months down and say, it is later proven that this wasn't right. But they don't repost it, they don't put it out. So the lie is what maintains. So, so when we lean in with, hey, I messed up. And just, just to kind of lean in on this, this is one of the reasons why independent media is really popular with Gen Z, right? And and I actually really like independent media too. And by independent, I mean non-televised, um, you know, more of like a YouTube, you know, um, individuals because two things that I've seen that's, and it buys a lot of credibility with younger people. They are often willing to admit when they're wrong. Um, there's one guy I listened to, he got he, another him, him and another guy kind of butted heads. He ended up going out publicly. He made a whole video to it and says, hey, I owe Tim an apology. I was wrong. And I was like, wow. It had so many views because people were like, is he really? Wow, this sucker just apologized. And then also, I've even watched some of these guys, you know, come out and say, hey, listen, um, I need to apologize. I espoused something. So not just admitting they're wrong, but then asking for like that. That's how we buy that. So in, in a culture today where there is a, skepti- a skepticism toward authority, which I think is what I'm noticing the longer we study these Gen Z, a lot of these trends, they may start there, but they move themselves on up to us. Because I mean, how many millennials right now and Gen Xers really think a whole lot about authority? It's, it's, it's affecting the whole culture. It just goes to show the power and the influence of the younger generations. We were talking before the podcast how your children have even influenced you. And, and, and in some ways, that's not a bad thing, right? Um, another thing to take into account, and we, we're going to have fun talking about this on a, in a different podcast, but you know, <laughs> your birth order really matters, too, in how you look at authority. You know, Generally, firstborns are more <laughs> lock, lock and step. Secondborns can sometimes be like the peacekeepers, and thirdborns are like, woohoo! party in Jamaica <laughs> right like so I see it even my own kids they are laughing because I'm I know your kids as well. Yeah. well I'm also laughing because he's a firstborn and I'm a youngest <laughs> oh that's fun oh yeah that's it's fun. amazing but yeah so um all, the, all that to be said there is one of, one of our biggest encouragements to you today is um that what is beneficial like embrace your children right um their culture is not um, let's just don't throw out the baby with the bath. Ever since I've been born, the oldest younger generation has been ragging on the generation younger than it. I mean, I did a long series on on relationships and dating, and you know, it used to be courtship. Then the car came into existence, and for the first time, teenagers had access to a level of freedom that they've never had access to. Parking became a thing, right? Parking, making out, you know which leads to the sexual revolution. So the Parkers were now mad. These, wow, they're sexual, they're doing horrible things. Well, you started it back with the parking, right? Sexual revolution came around first, second, third wave feminism comes around, you know? So like we, we look at this, it's all compounding. Every generation says the worst is the worst. Well, if it really was the, the human race would have ended already. 
Um, so we would encourage you find what's, what's good. There are some, some beautiful like aspects of this generation. If you just lean into it. And you know, one of the things, one of the things that goes along with that, can you imagine if, um, you have, you think about those, the, the topics that are of interest to them, like the environment, the politics, um, the authority, or sometimes the lack of authority. Um, but with all of that, properly looked at through a biblical lens could you imagine how how awesome that generation could be when they're properly looking at all of those things that matter to them that are important to them and they have a correct biblical framework from which to take that yeah and so like that should be our encouragement uh so that that being said we hope this has been good our goal here is we're actually going to have some gen z students on here in a little while we're going to ask them we're, we're going to cover we've saved one question for them because i this is one question i don't want to misspeak in their world because they're really living in it so we're going to get to that in another podcast but today real quick we really need to talk about something that we experienced that was just fantastic today so let's go ahead and let's talk about what did we talk about in church today so what did we talk about in church today y'all Planned obsolescence. Oh, yeah. I was going to say the same thing we talk about every week, Pinky. Oh, the gospel. I, I was going to say Jesus. Yes, the, <laughs> but yes, planned obsolescence. Rob, you want to give the TLDR on that one? Yeah. I mean, the, the opening illustration was, you know, in, in technology, um, we often have things that are designed to go, you know, they're only designed to last for a period of time. You know, light bulbs have a lifespan. Your cell phone has a lifespan that's designed into it. Um, and good or bad, I mean, you can talk about how that may be abusive by a company, but the point is that it, it only lasts for a particular time. And so Dan was talking to us about how the sacrificial system in the Old Testament was a, a set of symbols with a planned obsolescence. It had, a, it had an end time, and all of that was um, what Jesus was going to fulfill with his sacrifice. And so that's kind of how he set the whole thing up, and I thought that was a really good, a really good way to intro it. Yeah, the whole thing was about the greater sacrifice, if you will, you know, to follow the theme of like Hebrews and but and, and and he was in John in this one and he was going all the way up through the arrest and just so much happened at the arrest. And and what's fantastic is it's just the words of Jesus. I mean, he did it wasn't even like a whole lot of there was a lot of action, but the action all just came from his words, you know, and it's fantastic. And there were really three life-changing realities that he's centered on. And these are things that separate what it means to follow Christ than anything else. Um, what's What defines us as Christians and what gives us hope for the future. And the first one, he, he leaned into what Jesus said here, and I'm glad that he didn't go around this. And that was the greatest claim ever made when he was being arrested. Cause, I loved that one. Yeah, because they asked him, are you him? And he says... I am. I am. And he kind of took it back to the Greek and showed how, like, that's really, this is, you know, him speaking as if he is God at the burning bush, the great I am that I am, Yahweh, you know? So this is, this is a big deal. As we, as we move toward Easter in our current time, we see that even at his arrest, he's doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on who he is. Which brings us back to the the RC, um, not RC Sproul. Well, he's kind of up there, right? But uh, the C.S. Lewis, Lewis. <laughs> different initials, right? Um, either he's either got it. Jesus either has to be a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. There is no space for him to be a cool dude, brah, you know, because <laughs> he said he's God. He acted in a in a way that compelled people to follow him like he was God. So either he's nuts not worth following. He's maniacal and a liar and would actually have people go die for him. I can't think of a worse type of human being that would have you die for them for a lie. Oh my gosh. Or that he really is Lord. And this is one of those things that people will say, oh, Jesus never really claimed to be God. The church wrote that back in. But when you actually read through the Gospels, all four Gospels have a oh. version of not just this story. He he did this more than once where he answered a question with, you know, of who he is with that phrase, I am. And, you know, when you look at it, you know, even in Mark, the earliest Gospel, they picked up stones to stone him. They knew what he was claiming. Mm-hmm. And, and and so that's a that's a very clear 
you know, very clear, um, very clear claim that he was making in that culture and in that time. Even his headstone, right? King of the Jews, like he's mm-hmm. the king. Like there's so many things. So when we look at you know this season, and this is something we would, this is a great, great conversation to have with your kids. Like, who do you say Jesus is? I mean, that's that's what that's what Jesus says. Who do who do you say I am? You know, that's that's a completely appropriate. And then help them understand through processes reasoning. Like, there's really only three three real options. Uh, the other option, you know, that, that other people could try to, well, the Bible might not be true. Okay, well, let's go there too. Let's go into test of criticism. Let's, because once you knock that one out, you're left back with three. And, um, and ultimately, the proof's in the pudding with Christ. You know, it's in his life, um, death, burial, resurrection. It's in the wholeness of it. Um, which him being God really forces the light onto the second the second life-changing reality that Dan brought up that Jesus speaks to, and that is this, um, humanity's overwhelming problem. And how I love, I've always loved this passage where, you know, there's like 200 soldiers there. And whenever he says, I am, what happens to them? Like, they fall back. They literally all just fall on the ground. I mean, that's, these aren't, these aren't your, you know, your rent-a-cops. On right. you know the little what are the things like Paul Bart Moncart you know is riding across <laughs> this isn't that you know these are these are strong men who can travel rugged terrain which they had to in that culture and in the face of God confessing saying who He is they 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 pale under the you know the weight of that can you imagine how much it's going to be in in glory that you know that whole passage every knee will that's bow that's exactly mm-hmm. what I was just thinking you know. I think it's so funny. I've heard pastors preach, every knee will bow. Like, like he's some dictator forcing Hitler to bow his knee. No, you're not going to have to, like, he's not going to have the physical strength to stand. Like you, you will bow not because God is a tyrant, but because you can't stand in front of God. And, and when we come into the presence of God, like um, in our own devotion life with, with God, like even in church today, even as I was, worshiping uh, one of the unique beautiful aspects about harmony is i can hear everyone singing i can hear everyone singing when when they're worshiping and when i'm this morning i was just we just finished hearing this sermon and we were singing the song after we took communion i'm just sitting here going wow this is this is what it's like to hear a couple hundred a few hundred voices raised can you imagine what heaven's gonna be like right um so yeah and how we're not everything falls apart if we're not grounded in Christ. And and what greater thing than our parenting to realize that like what you said, Roger Robert, if if we if we teach our kids and they don't follow our way, it's okay because we we grounded. And if we're grounded, we trust that he will do his part. Yeah. And I think there's a there's a truth buried in this that that we all understand this principle in some fashion. We all know guilt, right? You don't have to. You don't have to teach us that something is wrong. You know, we were talking about that with the with the Gen Zers earlier. But you know, we know there's something broken. We know there's something wrong. You know, we we don't always correctly identify what it is, but we know there's there's a brokenness in ourselves. We know we have a standard that we don't meet, and and it's because instinctively we understand that there's there's a there's a righteousness out there. There's a right right there's a there's a truth that's out there and it's not me and as much as we want to say in our society oh yeah your truth begins with you and your truth is you we don't really mean that not because when you look we hold ourselves accountable to something else and we judge other people based on things and we'll say oh yeah my truth and your truth but man you shouldn't have done that right, right. Well, you're canceled because you said you did dot 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 um so we we know that there's a standard out there yeah, and it's it's very interesting. This is a great great point, Robert. Every social justice movement, every hashtag movement, every emoji that people put in their bios, it all reflects back to the greatest problem of humanity. None of that would exist if sin didn't exist. But then when you when you burrow down into that, it's well, what's your truth? What's your truth? Well, I don't know because your bio has all these things. Sounds like a lot of truth claims. Right. If if you're saying these people are underrepresented, these people choose harsh. This is that's not that's not your truth is your truth, my truth. You're you're saying some truth claims. So where does that truth go back to? 
why is it a problem? Mm-hmm. And how do we solve how it? How do we solve it? Which brings the last one, right? Great segue. I mean, you're, you're like crushing it, Robert. <laughs> yeah. Like, which is, which is this, um, the great, the, the third great reality is, is God's sacrificial solution. And that through the person of Christ, he came and man, I will be cutting that soundbite and I will be making that our soundbite of the week this week because he says so many people look at, oh, well, Jesus is the ninth one and God the Father is the me one. No, all God, Jesus came down here to deliver you as God from the wrath of God. Don't separate it. Don't mince it down. This is him, penal substitutionary atonement in reality. He went to save you from his own righteous judgment. And... That is mm. so counter-cultural, right? Our culture is, if something wrongs you, you either cancel it or you wrong it back. If Jesus says, you wrong me, I'm making a way for you to live in righteousness. Who does that? You know? <laughs> and that's why, that's why he led with, these are, these are really paradigm-shifting things that Scripture brought. I mean, you think about even when this happened in, in, in 2,000 years ago. What was the climate back then? What was the culture? It wasn't a culture of redemption, of mercy, but that's what he's brought in. And he takes on all of that wrath. And I just look at, at look at some of that. And I, and I can't, you can't help but escape that. It's like, isn't that sometimes good parenting? It's like, sometimes as good parents, I take the hits so my kids don't have to. Right. Hmm. Like, um, like how many of you have been tired because you were trying to, I, I, I try to get my kids to sleep. I have gotten tired trying to get my kids to sleep because I know the next day it's better for them to be well rested (laughs) than me. (laughs) Yeah, that's truth. And how many, how many sacrifices do we make? And, you know, again, we, we, there's a truth here that we recognize. We understand as humans, as parents, that making sacrifices for our children is a good thing. And, and then, you know, we look at God and say, oh, well, he shouldn't have had to sacrifice. He just should have changed the rules to make it, to make it okay. You know, but we wouldn't just change the rules to say, okay, you can have chocolate cake for dinner and that's what we can do. I mean, occasionally maybe we make a special allowance, but we don't change the rules. Right. We acknowledge that as an exception. You could call that a miracle, if you will. Um, it, it, and so we, we look at that, and I, I really liked you know Dan highlighting verse 11. You know, Jesus looks at Simon and says, hey, put that sword back, you know, um, I know you just tried to cut this guy's head off, but you missed and only got his ear. But, but, but is it not appropriate for me to be drinking this, this cup, you know, this cup of wrath? This, this is what I am here to do. This is why I came is to show you. And there's another thing Dan said that I really liked, you know, it wasn't, you know, Jesus was not, um, you know, just, just God, you know, trying to show us him. He actually came here to, to be, uh, to be with us and to, to show himself to us in that sense. And the confidence that bleeds out of that. I, I think just the whole idea that if you know Christ, the greatest fear a human can ever have will not come true. Man, that was powerful. Because the greatest fear that anyone will ever have is standing in front of a holy, righteous God and having to account for your filth. And as Christians, listen, the greatest fear that you could ever have is removed. So I don't have that set before me. I can raise my children. I can navigate this culture. I can, I can be a light in the darkness because I know that even if the darkness becomes completely overwhelming, my God is light and, and it will never be completely snuffed out. And, and ultimately that leads us to, you know, our, our last encouragement was that God's grace or his patience and mercy never run out. And, and how much do I need to lean on that daily? Right. (laughs) I think there's some of us right now, like maybe ours does, right. How how, how long does it take for our kids tap out our patience? Sometimes about five seconds. Like literally, (laughs) literally. So what, what an encouragement that, you know, Good. So here, here's here's the good news. Congratulations, you have the Holy Spirit and the empowerment to raise your children in the way of the Lord. But at the same time, you ain't near as good as Him, and your patience and mercy will never match His. 
So we should never be functional saviors for our children. We should never overfunction for them. We should always point to the one who could, who can, and who does. And we should admit when we're not like him. And that's how we that's how we get into the world of our family. That's how we bring the gospel in there. And ultimately, that's how we we influence their culture from the inside out. So, all right. Well, this has been a good conversation, and I know you two are scooting out next week. Where are y'all going again? Going up to the mountains. To the mountains. Gatlinburg, right? Uh, Asheville area. Asheville. Okay, that's Maggie so, Valley. Oh, that's so nice. Joey's pancakes. Listen, if you're listening. You ever go to Maggie Valley? Joey's pancakes. Trust me. Get the the one with the peanut butter. Oh my gosh. <laughs> But we do have something special lined up next week, so we will hope to see you then. I'm going to pray y'all have a great vacation. Come back rejuvenated. Jump back in the seat with it. But until then, my name is Delmar. I'm Robert. And I'm April. And we hope that you are living in harmony.